I'm Keith Hinton, and I want to welcome you to this episode of the Dare to Hope podcast. I think it's safe to say that most of us have had moments in our life when we would have welcomed a miracle of intervention from God. Whether we're talking about extreme physical needs, impossible dreams, difficult relationships, or other circumstances in our life, miracles are usually welcome. The Gospel writers report a total of 34 miracles in their accounts of Jesus' ministry here on earth. Probably we would agree that no miracles are more amazing than the few times Jesus raised someone from the dead. And certainly none of those instances would be more dramatic than the one recorded in John 11, when Jesus raised Lazarus to life after he had been dead for four days. Prior to that moment, common sense would have argued that raising someone from the dead after they had been dead that long was impossible. But Jesus wasn't subject to what made sense or what seemed logical or what might have been scientifically factual. Jesus made the impossible possible. A few years ago, Mark Patterson wrote a book he called The Grave Robber. His subtitle was How Jesus Can Make Your Impossible Possible. We have borrowed some of his terminology for this message. Surely the grave robber, Jesus, has the power to make even the impossible possible when we put our faith and trust in the power of his resurrection. Turn to John chapter 11 if you have your Bibles beginning at verse 23 and reading just these few verses. John chapter 11, verse 23. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Jesus, with Martha, after the death of Lazarus, but before he raised Lazarus from the dead. Quite a miracle that day. In fact, there are 34 different miracles recorded in the four Gospels, 34 of them, and yet there may have been countless others that weren't recorded. The Gospel of John, however, only records for us, only writes down seven, seven of those miracles. In fact, He called them signs. John called them signs. He didn't necessarily call them miracles. He called them signs, signs of something else. The Holy Spirit led John to record these seven signs for a distinct purpose. We find the purpose in chapter 20, down toward the bottom of the chapter. John says, these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So, John was wanting to point out for us what Jesus was, who he is, the characteristics he possessed, the power he possessed, particularly with regard to the fact that he indeed is the Christ, 
the Son of God. Miracles. That's where I want to begin this morning, with miracles. I want to look for a moment just at the need for miracles, if you, if you want to just kind of know that's where we are in the outline today. In John chapter 2, the miracles begin. Jesus turns the water into wine. In John chapter 4, Jesus heals a nobleman's son. The unique part about that is he didn't even go to the nobleman's son. It was at long distance, kind of revealing his lordship over latitude and longitude. He didn't have to be present in the room. Then in John chapter 5, he reveals his mastery over time and history. Because there he reverses 38 years of pain and suffering with one command. In John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 or more with five loaves and two fish. I guess that means in God's kingdom, five plus two doesn't always equal seven. Those of you who are looking at your checkbook these days and trying to figure out your budget since you've committed to tithing might be wondering about that. Just keep in mind, if you will, five plus two doesn't always equal seven in the kingdom of God. And though you and I may not be able to figure it out, God is faithful. I would tell you, as an encore to feeding the 5,000, we see him walking across the Sea of Galilee on the waves. It's another sign, John says. In chapter 9, there may be more to the miracle than meets the eye here. This man was born blind. He was blind from birth, and yet Jesus heals him. He just doesn't heal the man's eyes, evidently, in Mark Batterson's words, He hardwires a blind man's brain by creating a synaptic pathway between his optic nerve and visual cortex. Now, we don't know that's what he did, but if he was blind at birth, it's possible. And just when you think you've seen it all, the grave robber turns a tomb into a waiting room. Lazarus had already been dead four days when Jesus called him out said, come forth, Lazarus. That miracle foreshadows his own death and his own resurrection. Seven miracles in John's gospel are seven signs. Each sign points straight to Jesus. In other words, John isn't emphasizing the miracles. He's drawing our attention to Jesus, the worker of miracles. seemed appropriate to give you a word of caution here. We don't seek miracles. We seek Jesus. The fact is, if you follow Jesus long enough, you'll eventually find yourself in the middle of some miracles. Have you found that to be true? Our family experienced a miracle just this week, this past Thursday. Joanne's niece gave birth to a baby boy. However, there were some major complications following the birth of the child, and things did not look good. We weren't sure for a long time. It seemed long, several hours, whether she was going to live or die. Joanne got a text from her brother, whose daughter it was. The text said, things don't look good. We 
need a miracle. And we ask for that. And I'm grateful to report to you that God was merciful. By his grace and with the help of the medical community that surrounded her, finally word came early in the morning on Friday, it looks like she is now out of danger. God had granted us a miracle. It doesn't always work that way. We're very grateful that in this case, he chose to preserve Alicia's life. Now let me say this. Everyone wants a miracle. Everybody. I mean, you, you ask, yeah, yeah, I would, I'd be glad for a miracle. We'd even have some way that we'd like that miracle to come about. But no one wants to be in a situation that necessitates a miracle. We'd rather not be there. We'd rather just have the miracle. But of course, you can't have one without the other. The prerequisite for a miracle is a problem. And the bigger the problem, the more potential there is for a miracle. So remember, problems are merely opportunities for God to perform miracles and to reveal his glory. So with that in mind, nothing has changed really since Jesus actually changed water into wine or healed the man born blind or walked out of the tomb three days after his his crucifixion. He is still the God who can make the impossible possible. You all right with that? Now, many of you aren't old enough to remember firsthand the 1978 version of Superman starring Christopher Reeves. Some of you weren't born. Now, some of you are lifting your hands like, oh, yeah, I remember, I remember. Some of you were too young. You've probably seen it on some kind of uh, movie marathon you were watching sometime. But in that movie, you remember, if you've seen it, um, Superman's heartthrob, who would that be? Lois Lane, I knew you'd all know, is driving through the Nevada desert when there's this crevice that has been opened by an earthquake, and she gets into that crevice and it just kind of swallows her up. Superman can't save her at that moment because he's busy doing something else. There's some kind of dam breakage. The Hoover Dam broke. He's trying his best to get there to patch that up. And in the meantime, she dies. When he learns of her death, Superman is so angry that he begins to fly around the earth at supersonic speeds, reversing its rotation. Remember seeing that? And seemingly reversing time so that he finally gets to the place where he can actually save her. That's cool, don't you think? I got to thinking about the rotation, going backwards, and what that might do to the rest of us, actually, if he was doing that. But nonetheless, that's what the movie said. I guess you can get away with that if you're writing science fiction. Because most of us know the scientific data would tell us that's not possible. We can't do that. And that's okay. Haven't you ever wished, though, that you could turn back the clock? Haven't you ever wished you could do something over again? Especially right after you've done something or said something you wish you hadn't said. Oh, man, I'd like to take that back. 
But that just isn't possible. What's done is done. And there are, there are a lot of things in life that are just irreversible. You cannot unbake cookies. Have you ever tried it? You can't unbake them. You can't uncut hair. And I've had some haircuts in which I wish they could have uncut it, actually. Not lately. You need to know not lately. You can't unrun red lights. As much as you wish you could when the red lights are behind you, actually, going. Some things you just can't undo. And seriously, there are some irreversible moments that leave a hole in your life, like standing at the foot of a casket where the remains of a loved one lay. You're saying to yourself, this is going to change my life. If you've been on the receiving end of divorce papers or answered a frantic phone call in the middle of the night or gotten lab results from your doctor that affirm your worst fears, you know the feeling that I'm talking about. It feels like your life is over. But may I just remind you today, it ain't over till God says it's over. And he's the one in charge. Listen, when Jesus walked out of the tomb, the word impossible was removed from our vocabulary. Because all things are possible with him, and he proved it when he walked out of the tomb. His resurrection isn't something we simply celebrate one day a year on Easter Sunday. It's something we celebrate every day. It was the miracle of miracles. Amen? Now I want to move to the second part of the message called the seventh sign. And I I named it that because it's mainly focused on that seventh miracle. It's the seventh miracle that reveals the true identity, the full identity of Jesus. He's not just the guy who changed the the water into wine. He's not just the guy who walked on the water as impressive as those things are. He's the grave robber. And so he saves his boldest claim until the very last seventh one here in the book of John. And he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. That's quite a claim, don't you think? It's that unique claim which sets Jesus apart and puts him in a category all by himself. He is the Son of God. Christianity is not built on the foundation of philosophy or some code of ethics. The footer of our faith is one fundamental fact. The empty tomb. The empty tomb. That's the foundation of our faith. After cheating death by calling Lazarus out of his tomb, Jesus walked out of his own tomb under his own power. And that's the ultimate proof. There's no argument against that. If the resurrection didn't happen, Christianity ranks as history's cruelest hoax. We're not just wasting our lives worshiping him. We're actually living a lie. But if Jesus did walk out of the tomb 2,000 years ago or so, then that changes everything. 
While most people have no issue accepting Jesus as one thing or another, as a compassionate healer, a, a wise teacher, even a religious prophet, I remind you today that that isn't who Jesus claimed to be. He asserted that he was the Son of God. And as C.S. Lewis has so famously observed, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or in fact, who he claimed to be, Lord. There's no middle ground. Either Jesus is Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. So which is it? That one decision, that one decision will determine your eternal destiny. Is he Lord? Is he the Son of God? Do you believe what he did for you? It will also make the impossible possible for you. And then notice with me this transforming answer. In his conversation with Martha that day, Jesus described himself as the resurrection and the life. And after that declaration, without mentioning any words, Jesus asked a very simple question. Simple. You see it there, verse 26. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Now remember, Lazarus at this moment had not walked out of the tomb yet. And Jesus' own death and resurrection was still, were still ahead of him. But listen to her answer. There doesn't seem to be any hesitation. Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Her response was a simple declaration of faith. Yes, Lord. That one yes altered her future. It changed her life. And I want to remind you today that one little yes can change your life. Your yes, I believe. Your yes, I accept what Christ has done for me. One little yes can change your eternity. And the litmus test is the same now as it was then. The only question The only question on God's final exam is this. Do you believe this? And it's not a multiple choice question. It's a true or false question. It's a yes or no question. And it's the most important question you'll ever answer. Do you believe this? That one decision will determine your eternal destiny. That good news is the good news that he brings. And the wonderful thing about this exam that we're calling it right now is that it's an open book exam. He's already told you what the answers are. He says in Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. Do you believe this? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the axis around which our faith revolves. When Jesus rose from the dead, it radically redefined reality. The resurrection is the history changer. The resurrection changed the whole game. But the trick is learning to live as if Jesus was crucified yesterday. He rose from the dead today. And he's coming back 
tomorrow. Are you living that way? The resurrection isn't something we merely celebrate once a year with our new outfits and Easter bonnets. It's something we celebrate every day in every way we can. Now, the resurrection of dead bodies is nothing short of miraculous, that's for sure. And when Jesus comes again, they're going to be this rematerialization of dead bodies. Somehow, some way God's going to do that. That's going to be something to see. They're miracles. But they're not the only resurrection miracles. They don't really stop there. I want to tell you this morning that God is in the business of raising dreams from the dead. God's in the business of resurrecting dead relationships. And no matter what part of your personality has died at the hands of sin, suffering, or even Satan himself, the grave robber came to give you back your life. Amen? No one had laughed or smiled since the crucifixion. When Jesus walked out of the tomb, no one could stop smiling and laughing. They were so delighted. The grave robber himself steals back what the enemy has stolen, and he gives it back to us with interest. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe Jesus can resurrect your shattered dreams? Do you believe the resurrected Jesus can restore your broken relationships? Do you believe Jesus can bring your dead marriage to life again? Do you believe Jesus can make your impossible possible? You know, perhaps the most important application of this message is that in ourselves it is an impossibility to live a good enough life to please God and get to heaven when we die. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Scripture says. And it adds, there is none righteous, no, not one. And that's the real reason Jesus came. God's love for us and His desire to have an eternal relationship with us was so compelling, He sent His Son Jesus to die for our sins. And when Jesus walked out of the grave that morning, the impossible became possible. Now through him, we can be forgiven. We can have a brand new life. And we can be assured of a home in heaven when we die. Praise God. Jesus is in the business of personally making the impossible possible in our lives. In your own words, if you haven't done it already, Pray and ask Him to come into your life and begin His life-changing process in you today. Thanks so much for listening. Follow us on our Facebook page or on your favorite podcast platform. Send your email to hope at dare2hope.life. That's hope at daretohope.life. We would love to hear how God is making the impossible possible for you. Until the next time, because of Jesus, keep daring to hope. Oh Christ, this song.